thank you for joining us here today at Victory Church, where we pray big prayers to a big God and we expect big results. If you have any questions or you want to find out about who we are, visit us online at victory.church or download our mobile app. Now let's check out today's message. Turn in your Bibles, if you have them, to Acts 16. Acts 16. I'm here to tell you that God works miracles today. You're looking at one. When I was 20 years old in 1994, I suffered a massive brainstem stroke that left me quadriplegic. I couldn't speak. I couldn't move, I couldn't blink, but I could still hear. And I heard doctors warning my parents that I had less than 48 hours left to live. Doctors would poke and prod at my fingers and my toes and say, if you can hear this, blink. I mean, if you can feel this, blink. They'd squeeze my hand. If you can feel this, squeeze back. And I had no way of responding. Only two people were allowed to come into the intensive care unit outside of my family, and two friends came and whispered their goodbyes. There was no way for me to answer or acknowledge. No one thought that I was even in there. Doctors and nurses would talk about me. They would put their heavy clipboards down on my legs as if I couldn't feel it, just absentmindedly going about their routines. I could feel it, I just couldn't say so. Do you know the first time that they knew that I could hear? My brother, who was 16 at the time, came into the hospital room and asked my mom for my car keys. He goes, well, she's not using it. So, can I have her car keys? And my heart rate went up. I, I was thinking, Mom, you better, no, you better, no! Don't put those keys in his hand! And the doctor said, look at her heart. She could hear us. And my brother was like, ching, 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 ching. <laughs> And went out the door. <laughs> Listen, you may have heard a negative prognosis, some kind of strong negative sentence against you, against your life, against your career, against your marriage, against your children, something that feels like a death sentence. And you aren't able to respond, but listen, you don't have to believe that word. You don't have to receive that word. I have all the respect in the world for physicians, but nobody is the great physician. So we listen to knowledge, we listen to skill, but we obey God. I tell you that because one of the coolest parts of my story is not only that I learned how to walk and talk again, I mean, I'm here today, years later, but you know, God is poetic and he's gonna weave all kinds of things together. The hospital where those words were spoken over me, where it was 
proclaimed that I had less than 48 hours left to live. That hospital where I spent day after grueling day relearning everything about my life. That hospital was demolished a couple of years ago. It is no longer standing on this earth, but I am. Watch God break down the fortresses that set themselves up against you. He loves to say, no, you watch how many things I can make crumble while my child still stands. But you know, a lot of people, when they hear about my story, they're lost in the imagining of what it would be like to lay there on a hospital bed. And listen, I I was starving. I had not had anything to eat. And I would listen to someone open a Coke. It's torture. (laughs) I would smell. My mother really likes like peanuts and and sunflower seeds. And she, would, she was snacking in the room, not thinking that I, had, that I was there. And I was like, oh, it's torture. I'm smelling those yummy peanuts. All of those things, all of those things were excruciating. And so people say, what does it feel like to be trapped? To be buried alive, in a sense. To hear everything and no one knows that you're there. I want to talk about traps today because some people in this room are in a trap and they're focusing on what it would feel like to be in my physical trap when the spiritual trap that you might be in is a lot more painful because it's invisible. You don't even recognize you're in it. So let's turn to Acts 16 starting at verse 22. Paul was in a trap. A mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas, and the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. They were severely beaten, and then they were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape. So the jailer put them into the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in the stocks. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening. Suddenly, there was a massive earthquake, and the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open, and the chains of every prisoner fell off. Notice, not just the chains of Paul and Silas. The chains of every prisoner fell off. The jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open. He assumed the prisoners had escaped, so he drew his sword to kill himself. But Paul shouted to him, Stop! Don't kill yourself! We're all here. The jailer called for lights and ran down to the dungeon and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs! What must I do to be saved? And they replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved, along with everyone in your household. And they shared the word of the Lord with him and with all who lived in his household. 
And even at that hour of the night, the jailer cared for them and he washed their wounds. Then he and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. He brought them into his house and he set a meal before them. Then he and his entire household rejoiced because they all believed in God. Jesus does not only turn water into wine, he turns traps into tables. I'm going to share something that will bring up some painful thoughts. I'm just preparing you, but the Lord is a healer. So you need to know this. It may look and feel like it's getting worse as it's getting better. See, Paul and Silas were in this prison, and then there was an earthquake that shook the prison to its foundations. That means there were rocks falling. They could have felt like it was getting worse as it was getting better. God was opening the doors. So in the next few minutes, let me share some things to you you may never have thought of and let the Holy Spirit open the door. And it may feel at first very uncomfortable and it may look like it's getting worse as it's getting better. Your freedom may result in freedom for many others if you are in the greatest trap of all. The greatest trap of all is unforgiveness because we feel so justified to stay there. Just like the chains did not fall off, only Paul and Silas, they fell off every prisoner. It's possible that when you let the chains of unforgiveness fall off of you, it may result in freedom for your whole family. It may result in freedom for all your friend group. It may result in freedom for everyone at your work. I, I don't know where that wound is that you, where, where it is in your life or in your history that you're still holding on to resentment or bitterness and you're not forgiving the one who hurt you deeply. But it's possible that your pursuit of freedom may result in freedom for others. But here's where I'm really gonna get practical with you. Because I, I have in my life a couple of situations that were deeply wounding and I held on to unforgiveness for a long time. So I don't want you to hear me coming at you from any place except experience. And so I'm gonna say this, I used to hear a lot of sermons about forgiving and then I walk out and say, yeah, but nobody told me how to do it. I, I can't figure it out. So I'm gonna get really practical with you and tell you some details about language that I think are important. Even though I just said your freedom may lead to freedom in, of everyone in your family, some people may have just took on, that on as a responsibility. Because at one time in my youth, someone 
very high up in our church, like a minister position, came up to me and said, the problem in your family is because you are unforgiving. And I said, it's not my fault. He said, if you would, if you would forgive, everything would be fixed. And I walked away feeling like, it's not my fault. It's not my fault. So I don't want you to hear me say, when I say your freedom may lead to freedom for everyone in your family, I don't want you to hear me say what that person said to me, that your freedom is holding back. I mean, that your unforgiveness is holding back healing in your family. But it might extend an invitation. So here's the deal. You are not responsible for other people's emotions or spiritual growth. You are not responsible for other people's emotions or spiritual growth. But you are responsible for your own emotions and spiritual growth. So let me give you a couple of examples of how the enemy creates a counterfeit. Because anything good, the enemy is going to create something real close. It's going to sound good, but it won't, it won't be healing or helpful. So we've heard enough about boundaries to know that they're good. Know that boundary, boundary language all results in doing. The counterfeit is manipulating language, and that it all results in being. Listen to the difference. If you continue doing this, I will do this. That's setting a boundary. If you continue doing this, I will be this. That is manipulation. This is how it sounds in real life. Okay, as a teacher, I had this one parent conversation where a mother was cursing at me and calling me names. And I set a boundary with her. Listen to how I set a doing consequence. I said, ma'am, if you continue to curse at me, what I will do is hang up the phone and reschedule this conversation. And she just kept cursing. So I said, goodbye. <laughs> and I hung up the phone. So that's setting a boundary. If you continue this, I will do this. Now, the opposite is manipulation. There were times in my classroom that I would do this. I would say, if you continue talking, I'm going to be very upset. Okay, that's a being. That's not a doing. And my students were not responsible for my emotions. They were not responsible. I could choose to be upset about the fact that they're talking. I could choose not to be upset about the fact that they're talking. But they don't deserve to carry the weight of my emotions. I could have instead just said, a do if you continue talking, what I will do is this. And explain that. And it's all doing rather than being. Okay, so in our homes, this is what it looks like to that child. If you continue to do this, then what I will do is turn off the TV for a week. And then if they continue, you follow through, you've set a boundary. But if you say, if you continue to do this, mommy is going to be very sad, or son, 
if you continue to do this, you're making me angry. Your children are not responsible for your emotions. It's too much for them to carry. They're having enough, enough to learn how to carry their own emotions. Don't make them carry an adults. Plus it teaches them, it teaches them that they have the power to make an adult feel this way. So how about, uh, can we talk about in our adult lives, how about this? I'm gonna wear that ridiculous sweater that Aunt Mimi gave me because it will make her happy. You're not responsible for Aunt Mimi's emotions. But if you wanna say, I'm gonna wear that ridiculous sweater that Aunt Mimi gave me because I wanna honor her. That's different. Do you see how it's different? Because when you arrive wearing Aunt Mimi's sweater and she's not happy, and you tied everything to making her happy and then she's not happy, things explode. So just stick to, I choose to honor her. This is what I'm doing. And then if she's not happy, well, that's up, that's up to her. She's responsible for her own emotions. So I had to tell you this because your freedom has to be pursued for your health. Let God take care of everyone else's health. So if he is saying that relationship you're in, you've been dating him for three years, and I'm trying to tell you, that's not the man I want you with. You need to leave. And then you say, guess what, God, I'm helping him find you. I'm helping him grow in you. If I leave, then what about, and I, 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 he would be, also he would be so brokenhearted. He loves me so much. He would be so sad. He would be so sad. Plus, I'm not sure, uh, he won't, where else would, he's growing, he's spiritually growing. How would he find you if I, if I end this relationship? You are not responsible for his emotions or his spiritual growth, but you are responsible for your own. So if God tells you to do something, you act, you obey. And it will lead to his freedom, that's the irony. Hanging on to those things will keep everyone in chains, but you pursuing what God has for you will lead to their freedom. Okay, so another thing you need to examine in your language, just examine, is the why question. I call, sometimes I call them like throwing a why to the sky when we ask a why question that will never be answered. I could, in my own life I could ask, why did God allow me to have a stroke? Why? Okay, he, I don't, he hasn't answered that yet. He may answer it, but I don't think he, he is going to in my lifetime. You may be asking, why did God allow someone to do this to me? Why? Why did, why? You're throwing whys to the sky because those questions will never be answered. What's better is asking a why question toward yourself. If you ask a why question toward a circumstance or toward another person, there's no answer for you. For instance, a woman came to me and said, my boss has been saying and doing these horrible things to me for two years in this job. I'm, I hate this, I hate this. Why is he doing this to me? That's throwing a why to the sky. I don't know why he's treating you that way. And if you go and try to investigate, it may go all the way back to his childhood, which is none of your business. So quit asking the question, why is he 
treating me this way. And don't ask, why is this circumstance like this? All of that is like, whoosh, whoosh. instead, ask the why questions to yourself. So what I wanted to say to her is, don't ask why your boss is treating you that way for two years. Ask, why am I not looking for a different job? Why am I staying here? So regarding my disability, instead of saying, why did God allow this to happen to me? Why do I have to be handicapped for the rest of my life? Why? I started flipping the why questions instead of throwing whys to the sky where I'm never going to get an answer that, that moves me forward. I started asking the right why, which is pointed at me. It's the only why that's going to move me forward. I said, why do I believe my life is over just because I'm handicapped? Why? Why was I thinking that? Why do I think that it would be a bad thing to give up my plans for my life to be a news anchor? Why do I think that it's bad? Why do I think that's not that's a terrible thing? Maybe if I give up the dream of being a news anchor, maybe God has something else for me. So start asking instead as you forgive, as you move to freedom, Stop asking the, the meaningless why questions. Point them at yourself so that God can help you answer them and get you some traction to move forward and out of the past. Okay, so as I was reading this from Acts 16 about Paul's trap, his imprisonment, and the fact that the doors flew open and the prison was shaken to its foundations, and I'm just so amazed that this jailer who had put them in the inner dungeon, then brings them out and invites them to his house and sets a meal before them at midnight. When I read that, the Lord just said, Psalm 23. I'm like, hmm. So I look at it, Psalm 23, five. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Okay. Seeing this next to Acts 16 really shook me to my foundations because every time I have read this verse my whole life, do you know how I picture it? God's got this big feast in front of me and my enemies are sitting like on a bench in the wall, like against the wall. My, these people, God's going to make them watch. <laughs> And so here, and a few choice friends that I might invite are going to be at my feast, and Jesus is there, yeah. And then I'm like, nanny, nanny, boop, boop, looking at them. Seriously. How about some gravy? No. <laughs> and then as I'm looking at this Acts 16, and the Lord puts it right with Psalm 23, I realize, oh no. He said he sets a table before me in the presence of my enemies, which might be that they're sitting beside me. That's not necessarily a party I wanted to come to. See, who's setting the table? Jesus. He's a host. He can invite anyone he wants to. Did you ever... 
picture that maybe the great reconciler who makes the lion lay down with the lamb might, he just might bring you to a table with the one who has hurt you and it just might be good because he'll be there. He's not gonna let you sit there alone. Jesus will be there. Uh, a woman came up to me after the first service and said, I've always pictured that verse like my enemies were serving me, like they were the waiters. And she was like, thank you, I'll take one. <laughs> she goes, this is a huge shift for me to picture that maybe, maybe God would reconcile all wrongs, all wrongs, and invite all of us to the table. So let me ask you this. If your enemy invited you to a table, would you say yes? A couple of times in my life with different enemy situations, people who have wronged me, I've said no. And I remember one particular one where I was invited to share a table and I went, but I went like this. Oh, you're never going to know me again. You don't get to know me again. So ask your questions and the answer every time will be fine. Good. Thanks. And the door was never really open. I wasn't really sharing any kind of table with them. Psalm 23 is a balm to those who have been wronged. So I don't know about the wrong in your life. I don't know about the pain. I don't know about the person. I don't know about the past. I know it hurts. I know it hurts. So let me read this over you. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. As an English teacher, I couldn't help but notice the shift. There's a pronoun shift there. You know, David is speaking in third person at first, and then he moves to first person. And I'll show you where he does it. For th speaking in third person is referring to God as he. He does this, he does this for me, he does this for me, he does this for me. He makes me lie down. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. And right at this sentence, he switches to you, you and I. So it's really second person. He's saying, you, God, you restore my soul. And it's right here. It goes from he guides me along the right paths for his namesake to even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me. And the rest of the psalm is all you, you and I, Lord, you and I. And the, the distance changes to intimacy right there in the darkest valley. So if you've been abandoned, 
if you were unjustly accused, if you were unjustly fired, if you have experienced division in your family, I don't know what it is, but it has felt like a dark valley. At times it maybe even just felt evil. That was a moment where the Lord was inviting you into intimacy with him so that you would know that he is with you. So what do we do next? I, I, I like assignments, I like tasks, I like homework, and I don't like busy work. I never ever assign busy work, but I love passing on an, a task, a take-home task, let's call it that, instead of homework, a take-home task. I'm gonna give you a take-home task that I really believe would, will be a blessing to you if you'll try it. Okay, it's about to be October. You know what that means? Christmas is coming. So marketing tells us, modern marketing tells us that Christmas is so special. And for a lot of us, Christmas is special. With situations that are supposed to be joyous and they just feel uncomfortable with family and friends. So we're gonna get ready. Cause I don't know if you've put two and two together, but this is gonna be Christmas 2020. So I'm battening down the hatches. I'm saying the way this whole thing's been going, I'm not leaving Christmas to chance. I'm getting ready. I'm getting ready. And Thanksgiving is just the pregame show. So this is your take-home task. Please print off Psalm 23 in any version you like. The Passion Translation is great. I like the NLT. Maybe the message is for you. Some people, New King James is their jam. You go for it. Print it off. You can have every version if you feel like it, but print off Psalm 23 and read it over yourself out loud for 90 days. 90 days. That's how long we have about till Christmas. And here's what I ask you to do. Open your heart when you're ready by making one more pronoun shift from singular to plural is what I'm asking you to do. Instead of saying, the Lord is my shepherd, say the Lord is our shepherd. And I want you to bless the person who hurt you. I would never ask you to do something that I did not do first. This morning, when the Lord put this take-home task on my heart, this morning I, I prayed Psalm 23 out loud, plural. I pictured the person who has wronged me, and I said, the Lord is our shepherd. We lack nothing. He lets us lie down in green pastures. He leads us beside quiet waters. He restores our souls. And I blessed the person who bruised me. You can bless them, you know. 
and there will be a shift, if not in them, in you. You're not responsible for their emotions and spiritual growth, but you are responsible for your own. And this is a step that's very simple to take for 90 days. But I'll say, start with yourself, and when you're ready, shift it to include them. Now, I know, I know what I'm asking you to do is a challenge, and I, there have been times in my life when I felt people challenging me to forgive, and it was like they were pushing me, pushing me from behind. I'm like, don't you push me. This is so sensitive. You don't know anything about this. Don't push me to do something. Don't make me call them. Don't tell me that. Don't make me write them a letter. Don't make me invite them over. You don't know my situation. Look, I don't. I'm not telling you to move. Paul didn't move. The doors were open. He stayed where he was. He didn't go after the one who had imprisoned him. He just sat in his freedom. And the change happened anyway. So I'm inviting you to open your heart through this take-home task. I'm not adding anything to it. I'm not saying, go do this, go do that. I'm just saying, sit in your freedom. You don't have to move. Just pray a blessing, the word of God over yourself for 90 days. Because when you open the door, you realize, of course, you're not opening it to the other person. You're opening it to the Lord. Revelation has a verse that says Jesus stands at the door and knocks. And if you've locked your heart with unforgiveness, it's him on the other side saying, hey, can I come back in? It's me. It's me. Don't worry. It's nobody else. It's just, I, it's just me. Can I come back in? And some of us become so afraid, we don't even let him in. Realize this. If you've been in a prison of the past, imprisoned by pain, imprisoned by blaming other people, all along, the lock was on the inside. And you can get out. That's good news. Because when you open it, the one you love will be standing there. He'll say, I thought you'd never let me in. I've got a table to set before you. You don't have to move in order to receive the miracle. Just open the door and Jesus will come to you. I want to end with this story. I have a dear friend who has now gone on to be with the Lord who she um, was from Burundi, West Africa and um, endured great atrocities during a war there. Her, hu her husband was shot in front of her and then she was taken to prison where she stayed for many months and uh, every night the guards would come to the women's quarters. It was torture. It was a nightmare. And one night the, the guards were so drunk that when they left, they left the door open. And my friend tells me she told me a story that I could not believe. She said, Nika, when I saw the door was open, I turned to the other woman and I said, 
Let's go. Let's go. They fell asleep. We can leave. And the other woman just sat there. They just looked at me. I said, why aren't you going? Let's go. And they said, but, but here we have water. And out there, we have no water. She said, we'll find water. Let's go. And they said, but here, but here we have bread. Where, where will we find bread? She said, I don't know, but we can find it. Let's go. They said, but here we have shelter at least. If we go out there, we don't know what will be uncovered. And she said, just go. We'll find covering. Let's go. And she said, Nika, I backed toward the door and nobody came with me. And finally, I just turned around and ran and left them all. Her name was Grace. And today, Grace, God's grace is beckoning you. Please, please run out of the prison of unforgiveness. The prison is not the safe place. The prison is not the safe place. If you leave, it, it might feel frightening because what you've created for yourself is so familiar. But it's time to leave. There will be water. There will be bread. And there will be covering. His name is Jesus. Yeah, yeah. Please pray with me. Holy Spirit, you're the one who is moving in our hearts right now. And I want to go first and say, Lord, I surrender unforgiveness. For about three or four people that you know I've held things against. I surrender that now and I drop, I drop the accusations. I drop the blame and I'm moving forward with you. I don't want to be stuck. I want to go on a God adventure with you into the unknown. And I pray for courage to rise up in every heart that they too would drop the familiar for freedom instead. In Jesus' name. Amen. Once again, thank you for joining us today for this week's message at Victory Church, where we are called to equip people to live in His presence, move beyond themselves, and be transformed. The only way that can happen is through your radical generosity, your serving, and your prayers. If this ministry has impacted your life in any way, we would like to invite you to partner in giving towards this ministry. You can do that by visiting our website at victory.church give or download our Victory Church app and select give. Once again, thank you. And God desires for us to live life to the full.